Perfect. Great. All right. Now we're in it. Okay. Let me start by taking off my shirt as it is still hot boy summer of podcasting. I've been running the AC all afternoon just to just to cool you down. It's I'm still, still not enough. I'm still I'm podcasting every day of the summer. No shirt. No shirt summer podcasting. Here we go. Well, everybody should be very happy as in a video podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now that we're all perfectly comfortable. I'd have the, the, I'm looking here at the pre-show. Nothing. Nothing. It's an empty bullet. Absolutely nothing. Zilch. Nothing. Nada. I guess we're just all business today. All business today. I mean, like, maybe that's what it is. Maybe, maybe that's so. okay. Yeah. I think that's okay. All right. Let's just jump into it. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back today to talk more about the gear we use for photo and video. I see here, I see I have a, this, this first topic... I'm going I'm to go into this one, and then I'm going to just ruin everything else you have here, and I'm going to go into something else. Sounds good. Okay. I saw a rumor that Blackmagic, maker of DaVinci Resolve, may be coming out with an L-mount camera. I saw that too. Mm-hmm. Definitely interesting. I subsequently then had a dream that they had actually already come out with an L-mount camera years oh. ago, and in this ridiculous fever dream i came across an l mount black magic camera used and i was like well this one doesn't have all the autofocus stuff on it but it's only 500 dollars." Mm. and so i bought it and then i had like a black magic l mount camera even though the new one was like just about to come out i was like why am i having this dream <laughs> i woke up i was in a cold sweat i was like oh god it's ridiculous so if you came across such a thing now would you buy it for five hundred dollars, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that's how much it costs, <laughs> I think this is really interesting. L mount has been really growing. Mm-hmm. You got your Sigma stuff. You got your Leica and your Panasonic, the S one, S five Mark II and Mark II X, and the future coming S one H Mark II camera of the year twenty twenty three. Right. Whew, numbers. I mean, those those cameras are great. Mm-hmm. People are actually starting to look at the ecosystem and starting to mature. And I think, you know, another person, a person, another company coming into the situation and bringing in another camera body. Great. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Honestly, after that event that we uh, edited, you know, recently, we had somebody shooting an S5 with L-mount glass and the shots were just really sharp. Like the optical quality looked really good. That That experience made me more excited to see this news. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm pretty happy about where L-mount is going. Mm-hmm. It's not fully complete. We talked about when that whenever the Panasonic camera came out, how there's still maybe some like room for ultra-fast glass, mm-hmm. and maybe all the zoom coverage isn't quite there, Yeah, and maybe there aren't as many options, but it seems like Sigma and Panasonic are working really hard to fill that out, mm-hmm. and if you need something on the top, 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 top end, you have the Sumalux stuff. Yeah, yep. And I mean, especially for video, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite from you on lenses, I think, cause you're constantly wanting to get new lenses, but I'm realizing for me, for video, like honestly, just having the standard zoom stuff is just fine. You know, like have a 24 mm-hmm. to 70 equivalent and a 70 to 200 is honestly, you know, maybe like a, some reasonable prime. Yep. Is like all you need. And so even though L mount still doesn't have a ton of lenses in it, I feel like it has enough to where if you were buying a video camera, you'd be able to get a perfectly usable setup with L mount glass. Yep. That stuff has it covered in those focal ranges, which yeah, I mean, that's 70% of what most people need. And 
I think you know, previously Black Magic, their cameras are using Canon glass. It's EF mount, and EF is is basically dead. The yeah. camera store near us doesn't even won't even receive EF glass as trade in. Yeah, which, which means it, that they're also not really offering used EF glass anymore. Mm-hmm, I mean, they still I'm, have some, but I find it completely absurd. But mm-hmm. it's now getting harder to buy used EF. Yep, you can't really buy new EF. They're not making new EF. So like Black Magic had to do something. Yep. And you're not going to put yourself into the Canon arm mount ecosystem. Well, you are if you're red. I was looking into that. And yes, the Komodo X and the Komodo R R mount, but everything else is interchangeable. You can put whatever yeah. stinking mount you want huh. on there. Oh, that's weird then. But I guess I brought up that comparison to say I think going with L mount makes a lot more sense than RF. Well, I'm looking at the at the ecosystem. It's like, what else are you going to put on it? Sure, you could put e-mount but i think l-mount makes way more sense mm-hmm. it's like here's the third party option where a bunch of camera companies are putting things together it's why micro four thirds is such a vibrant lens ecosystem there's so many options is because they had that alliance making the lenses yeah yeah and this is basically the newer full frame version of that so yeah so we cool. haven't seen a full frame version come from black magic yet mm-hmm and like they need, they need to do something to sell Resolve. I mean, why not package it free with a full frame camera? <laughs> Since no one else is using that software, right? And they really got to push it. Would they still be able to call it a pocket cinema camera if it was full frame? Depends on how big your pockets are. I mean, yeah, it'd be like an overall pocket, like a big pocket. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe they don't call it a pocket cinema camera. Maybe, maybe they call yeah. it something else. Yeah, I don't. I know. mean, they make they make the Ursa, which yeah. is that's a one inch yeah, sensor, tiny, half inch sensor. I think maybe different. I don't think it's one inch, but it's some weird size sensor. Yeah, it's not. It's smaller than four thirds. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like they have other cameras besides the pocket cinema and yeah. this rumor isn't saying that's going to be a pocket cinema yeah. whatever mm-hmm. but it's supposed to be full frame yeah i know i feel like if it was a if it was a like a professional style like the broadcast ones or something like that those have interchangeable mounts on them yeah like P, that way you could do pl mm-hmm. or whatever and so whenever i hear this is going to ship with an l mount that's more of like a hybrid body style mm-hmm. camera that has a fixed mount that doesn't yeah. be well, that, that can't be replaced that's kind of why i was thinking along the lines of pocket cinema camera because mm-hmm. that feels like the type of lineup that this would be in yeah it know. does yeah I'm excited about it. Yeah, me too. I think it'd be cool to see. So there was a lot of a lot of tags in that previous conversation that are a great segue to our next conversation. <laughs> so we had a thing this weekend. I brought out my old Nifty Fifty, my mm-hmm. old the old plastic fantastic, yep. my EF uh, fifty millimeter one point eight. And you know, our last episode there was a lot of hemming and hawing about whether or not I needed a 56mm 1.2 lens. And let me guess, this episode is going to have more hemming and hawing about just, that. There's just just a lot of hemming and hawing, Daniel. Mm-hmm. So since that since that episode, I have found that the sale that Fuji's been running on the old 1.2 is still it's still going. Mm-hmm. And previously I didn't buy it because I wanted to, I usually like to buy them through B&H. I can, you, know, you can get the tax-free whatever. Yeah, you got you to gotta pay boo. Yeah, exactly. You got to pay that boo. Mm-hmm. I'm boo. No, they're boo. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Sorry, I'm just thinking about that for a second. Anywho, they got more more in stock. Somehow they have more in stock, even though it seems like they're just trying to clear the stock. And so I'm wondering, should I buy this lens? Yeah. I mean, it's you're, you're faced with that decision. And usually when you're faced with the decision of whether to buy a lens, the answer is yes. So what is the answer going to be now? <laughs> well, Daniel, I just need you to I need you to talk me through it. 
See, so it's the old. There's this 56 millimeter, which this is the original one. The yeah. one that's on sale is the one that came out six, seven years ago. Which is the 56 1.2 R. Correct. Right. right. So it's not weather sealed. It's it's smaller than the new one. The mm-hmm. new one came out whenever they released the XH2 and the XT5. Okay, so that's pretty new. It's very new, and so it's it's sharper. It can resolve to forty megapixels. It's weather sealed. It has a closer focusing distance. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it has the new linear motors in it or not, but it has better focusing motors regardless. It, I don't think it has linear motors in it. Yeah, I think you're right. Still, I think like all in all and all the way around it, the new fifty six millimeter WR. It's just way better than the old one. Mm. Somewhere in between, there's the APD one. We don't talk about that one because yep. it's not as sharp. Yep. Or not as fast, technically. So, Daniel, is it worth the extra $500? Like, should I wait and be looking for a used WR lens? Or should I just, you know, dive in here on a brand new, you know, R lens that's that's 500 bucks? Well, to me, I mean, so no, I don't think it's worth an extra $500 for the WR. I think that's okay. a, that's a lot of money. It's a little bit heavier. It's like an ounce heavier. It's slightly bigger. Mm-hmm. It has a sixty-seven millimeter filter thread, right? Versus yeah. sixty-two. Versus sixty-two. It's so a little bit di- bigger diameter too. Either way, my whole life is sixty-seven millimeter filter. Mm-hmm. So regardless, if yeah. it's a sixty-two, I'm going to step it up to sixty-seven. Yeah. So and if it's a, and if it's a seventy-two, I'm going to step it down to sixty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you should get. Instead of either of those is the Sigma 56 1.4. Okay. All right. Talk to me about this, Daniel. Why the 56 1.4? So for one thing, it's cheaper. Right now, you can get that lens for 405 new. So it's even cheaper than the Fuji Sale on the older lens. Okay. It's Sigma. So you know the image quality is a priority for them. Mm -hmm. I've heard that that is an optically a very good lens. Yeah. I've also heard that it's very good. I don't know if it's quite as good as the Fuji, but I think it's very good. And it's a lot smaller and lighter. So the the Sigma lens is like nine point nine ounces. Okay. Versus like over fourteen ounces for the even the older like Fuji fifty six R lens. And that may not sound like much, but it's also a quarter pound. It's a half so, a pound lighter. No, it's a quarter pound lighter. It's a quarter pound lighter. Yeah. And how heavy is the how heavy is the, the fifty six one point one? That one that one's like fourteen point three ounces. So it's and the Sigma is like 9.9. How much How much is a pound? <laughs> <laughs> how many ounces in a pound? Uh, you don't have to tell me. It's 16. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and That's a heavy, man. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a big boy. Diameter-wise, the, uh, the Sigma is a 55 millimeter filter thread. So you'd have a comically large step-up ring on there. But that means that like it's going to be a less bulky lens. It's a lot shorter. It's like uh, 2.5 four inches long i think as opposed to like almost three or something I, I i can't remember the exact size but it was definitely shorter than the fuji so it's 170 dollars cheaper it's smaller lighter shorter probably sharper because it's a newer lens construction mm-hmm. well so on sale it's, it's only 75 dollars cheaper because it's 405 versus 500 no i mean i like just googled it and i saw one for like 330 mm, man well i didn't see that i was just gonna be an h XF. Let me look. Oh, yep. No, 404 from Adorama there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, the the obvious downside is no aperture ring. And it's not Fuji. So, you lose a little bit of bragging rights there. But for me, I'm like, I'm saving 20% of the cost in this lens. I've got something that weighs a quarter pound less. And I know it's still going to have really good quality. Like, So, I got like two things on that. 
One, if I'm going third party, why am I not getting the 75 1.2 from Viltrox? That one does have the ring on it. Is it because it's too close to the 80 millimeter? I don't know. It's not the same focal length. I mean, that's the obvious, like, that's the difference. Okay, yeah, sure. That's not the same length. <laughs> now, the, whenever Fuji started coming out with their lenses for the X system, you know, way back when they came out with the 35, and then they came out with the 18, and 23, and then the 56. Mm-hmm. This is one of those, those original Fuji lenses, yeah. which, as I understand it, has character. Yeah. <laughs> it's got some of that hipster cred to it. So, I mean, what if, what if that's what I'm looking for that? That dreamy bouquet and uh, all that Fuji character. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, I guess you'd have to go with the Fuji in that case. It's, I, just, it's just a worse lens, but maybe that's mm-hmm. what you want. Maybe you want a worse lens. Daniel, did you look to see how the uh, Sigma's micro contrast is? <laughs> <laughs> I did not look that up. I've heard that the 56 1.2 has good micro contrast. <laughs> the Sigma does have more aperture blades. I mean, that means rounder bokeh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have seen some pictures with the old 56R, 1.2R, where it's like, you know, a little bit of, little bit of pentagonal stuff yeah. going on. You know, I think it's only seven. Yeah. It has less blades. I don't know if it has less aspherical elements, but. Yeah. I feel like I would be happy regardless with both. But if I bought the Sigma, Sigma I would be wondering the entire time, man, maybe I should have got the Fuji. Yeah. Well. Yeah. There's also the obvious thing where I've purchased this Fuji lens three times, <laughs> or I've held three copies and purchased it once, and every single one of them was broken. Yeah, which uh, raises the question of how well built is that lens? That's what I'm wondering. Like, is this thing not durable? All yeah. my other Fuji lenses are like rock solid, mm-hmm. and but I'm a little worried about it. Yeah, I mean, I think you should be. You mentioned that some people mod the lens and that that causes the problems, but sure. I mean, out of the ones you held, were they modded? Yeah, one of them was. One of them was. And one I, of the three. Yeah, and I don't know about the other two. Okay. So I shot with the 50 millimeter 1.8 this weekend just to like remind myself, is this a focal length that I'm looking for? Yeah, what was the answer? The answer was for a lot of like if you're at a party or something and you're shooting it's just in that kind of situation where like I'm involved in conversations and I'm like with people, but also shooting, 23 is where I want to be mm-hmm. like 100% of the time. And so I always felt a little too constrained by the 50 millimeter. But if I was shooting an interview or an event or something and I wanted to get a little tighter or a little um, like more compression, more of like a portraity look that the 56 is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. So interestingly, you took it this weekend to that event, mm-hmm. but, and, and it, it seems like it was not really a success. It wasn't really the lens you wanted, but you're still wanting to buy that lens. I just, I feel like for $500, I mean, I feel like I'm. Uh, it's the same argument as to when I bought that laptop, yeah. which is, you know, like this is, it's basically half off. And like whenever these things sell out at the end of this month, it's not going to be $500 ever again. Once in a lifetime opportunity um, to buy this 56 millimeter one point lens that hopefully isn't broken. It's cheaper. Well, because it's new. <laughs> it's, it's, I haven't seen it cheaper used. Yeah. And, I don't want to buy this lens to use ever again. Yeah, yeah. And so I would either buy new or used maybe the WR version that maybe is in a better condition, but that's not going to be very well used until maybe like a couple yeah, of years I mean, from right now. Right now, a used one's probably 800. So. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I feel like this is my opportunity, yeah. which is why I need you to convince me or not convince me to buy it on the podcast right now. <laughs> I feel like you have a lot of lenses. I feel like you probably don't need more, but 
Oh, you've got the order page up live, <laughs> live on air. You going to pay with the PayBoo card? Yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> saving you that money. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could always return it if you didn't like it. True. I feel like you'll probably regret if you don't get it. It probably makes sense to get, but I'm still going to make fun of you for how many lenses you have. I mean, that's it's just never going to stop. I, I can't get over that you have both a 16 and a 23. That's, that's the thing that feels kind of goofy to me. Daniel, they are completely different lenses. <laughs> Whenever I'm doing my garden vlogs, I'm shooting that on the 16, man. It's perfect. It's creamy and delicious. I can't shoot that on a 23. Don't you say how long my arms are. <laughs> I just can't do it. It's too tight. It's too tight. But whenever I'm just, you know, shooting pictures with friends, I'm just like around people and I want like a walking around lens. 35 is, is, is too constrained. It's too tight. The tw- I got to have the 23, but I got to have this. The 16 is a part of me. I can't get rid of the 16. Uh, you got rid of it once pretty easily. At least I don't have an 18 and a 16. That's true. And you do have a peak design travel bag that yeah. can hold all of those lenses and more. It can hold so. all of them. I'm just saying though, like I have the like sure I have the zooms. But I like shooting on primes. And I mean I'm going from twenty three to eighty. It's this That's huge, this huge yeah. gap. I mean, I will point out you could cover almost that entire range with one Tamron seventeen seventy. <laughs> the most versatile lens. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. You should probably get the lens. But I'm still going to make fun of you for it. Okay. Let me just double check my payment information here. Estimated delivery Thursday. All right. And place order. I'm actually surprised it's Thursday. Yeah. They're, they're pretty fast. That's, that's, that's that slow free, shipping. Free expedited shipping. And then I'm uh, just going to show you for proof here. Thank you for your order. Yeah. There's your email for, the, for the new order. <laughs> well done. That was very dramatic. Yes. Maybe we should take a break. <laughs> <laughs> you need you need a few moments alone before yeah. we continue. Got to regroup for a second. <laughs> it's very emotional for me. <laughs> Did you think I was going to buy a lens on this podcast today? Honestly, it's not that surprising because you buy a new lens what feels like every week, but... I guess that that might be the first one you've bought live on air. I was so, I was really gearing up new, for it. I was super excited. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why you brought your laptop today instead of the iPad. You wanted to be fully locked in to buy that. I'm lens. ready, man. You, yeah. It's like I don't want to, have to be dealing with tabs or yeah. pushing touch screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you need the absolute precision of the trackpad and keyboard to <laughs> buy that lens. Exactly. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. You'll have to let us know how it is once you've had a chance to use it. I just I feel complete now (laughs) let's mark this moment down and we'll wait and see when you start talking about buying that 75 i mean daniel you see i'll have the 56 and i'll have the 80 but i don't have anything in between what are you gonna do (laughs) it's just the 80 millimeters not fast enough i have that for macro but what if we wanted to do like longer lens portraits (laughs) you're just you're just further locking yourself into fuji you can never switch off fuji now you have so many lenses i think that what will really solidify it for me is whenever I buy the 200 millimeter f2. That's yeah, that's an expensive lens, isn't it? <laughs> it's like two thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> oh man, I can't imagine. So nice, I can't imagine needing a 200 millimeter prime. Yeah, yeah. Yes, to yes, yes I can. I'm just kidding. I, I totally can. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Talk to me about this iFootage Cobra three. Yep. So this was a new monopod that came out. 
And it's kind of notable because iFootage had the Cobra 2 previously. I know that's shocking that they had the Cobra 2 before the Cobra 3. And that was, you know, kind of widely reviewed as a really good monopod. And now there's a new version of it. Kind of raises some questions for me of, you know, like, is a monopod something that would be useful for shooting video? I've never really used one, but but you seems like a lot of people like them. You own a monopod, right? Or is it just as a part of your... Your tripod. Yeah, the the thing I own is part of my tripod. So I can disassemble the tripod, turn it into a monopod. I, I've maybe used that capability once, but I haven't done much with it. I think there's a lot of advantage to shooting on a monopod, especially if you're doing video work mm-hmm. and you're on the move. Yeah. I own two monopods <laughs> and I've done a little bit of this. And for me, I think that where using a monopod, especially for video, becomes handy is with a fluid head. Yeah, because you can you can do like those panning, mm-hmm. or like like push in, push out, like that kind of move. Right. You can use the base point of that one point of contact with the ground mm-hmm. and use it to pivot and to swing the camera forward and backwards in a more controlled, stabilized manner. And so you you know about that, and like that's what you're saying is like the the general use of a monopod, but you don't have a fluid head. Is that right? Yeah, I've never gotten around to buying a fluid head because to me that's the main use for it. Otherwise, I don't really have a use for a fluid head in my life. Mm, interesting. Okay. I mean, if I did, I would I would definitely buy a fluid head. Yeah. However, the use of a monopod with fluid head has been appealing enough that I've considered it multiple uh, times. Yeah. But not enough to like buy a monopod head, fluid head on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you only reserve that for lenses. <laughs> I have, I guess I just, ha- I, I have two fluid heads, but they're both like really heavy and big and they wouldn't really be good for a monopod. I thought I had a smaller one, but I think my Benro one is not a fluid head. So it's a, you know, it's like a video tripod head, which maybe you could still kind of get the same sort of thing out of. Um, From what I understand, iFootage makes a a fluid head called the Komodo K5 or K5S. Yeah, they had the K5 before and the K5S is a newer version of it. Right. And so that one's a little smaller, a little slimmer. But from what I understand, that's kind of the ideal pairing Mm -hmm. for this, whatever, K3 monopod. Yeah. And it looks like that can hold like... They said like five kilograms, which, what is that, like uh, 11 pounds, I think? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it has a 2.4 kilogram counterbalance mm-hmm. payload, whatever that yeah. means. Yep. So that's pretty uh, That's pretty reasonable for like a small camera, um, you know, if you wanted something on your uh, on your monopod. But I guess to, to run through the specs of the Cobra 3, so it's got like a wider base than the two. So one, one thing that iFootage did that was really cool in the previous ones, is they had like this little mini tripod thing that sits at the bottom of the monopod. Um, and they made that bigger and wider. And so the way they show it is that you could like just leave the monopod standing up with the camera on it. Yeah. So it's like a foldable three foot system that has a ball head on it mm-hmm. and then a standard like screw mount or something. And then you could, or it's like, or is that one of the one with the quick release on it? I think it has a quick release. You yeah, can so remove that little It has tripod. like a ball head and a quick release, but then yeah. you could use a different like quick release mount to then have like a tiny little baby tripod or that could be the foot for your tripod. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they show it like you would just like leave the camera standing on it and like walk away from it, which right. that's that kind of scares me. I still can't imagine. Yeah, doing I that. think that like you have to go down there, you can like lock the ball in place, like you tighten yeah. it down, mm-hmm. and then supposedly it's stable enough that if you're on a flat surface, you could kind of yeah maybe we'll take a few steps back with the with the Cobra too. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, it's got snap locks rather than twist locks, which that's like I think the two had twist locks. I think that you have the option on the Cobra 3. Oh, okay. So, like, the foot's wider to make that more stable, and then you can choose between snappies or twisties, mm, which obviously snappies is the right choice. Yeah. I don't know why you would ever pick twisties. Mm. Dan, are you on team twisties or team snappies? I, well, I was actually going to ask you about this um, because I, I don't I don't know. I think I do prefer the snaps, though. I think that the twist locks are less bulky. So, like, if you really care about packing down small, I think twist locks are a little bit better for that. But I always like I'm I'm so paranoid about not tightening it enough, right? And so I feel like I way over tighten it, and then it's super hard to deal with. And yeah, there's been situations where I haven't tightened it enough, and it starts to slip a little bit. Mm, you don't want that. I also have had problems where the snaps break, and then like the leg doesn't quite sit in there right, or it comes out, and I have to like mm. pull the whole thing back on because those snaps have like a set screw on there. Yeah, and I have had those set screws come loose. Huh. And so, like, maybe they don't quite pinch down as well. And then, like, you're fiddling with the set until you can finally find the right tension for where it snaps shut. And mm. Maybe that's just not good for some people. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. There's people out there. I want to know if they're team twisty or team snappy. It's a big decision. You know, when you're buying a tripod, they're mm-hmm. expensive. You got to make the right choice. I mean, my, my current tripod, it's a snap lock. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. Team snappy. Yep. I think mine is, too. It is. Yeah, I guess you're right. All right, moving on. Nice you have the options from yep. what I understand. Yep. I think the most interesting thing about this, though, is they have an option that has a pedal on the bottom. And so you mentioned that, like, by default, there'd be, like, a little knob that you turn to uh, loosen or tighten the the tension, like, on the bottom angle adjustment. And they have a version that has a pedal that you can press to release that tension. Right, so you press the pedal, and then you're, it allows the monopod to pivot around the ball so you can then move it in whatever leaning direction you need to. Mm-hmm. And it will not hold its position. It has like some friction to it, but it won't, like you can't like leave the camera at a 45 degree angle. Right. But whenever it returns back to exactly vertical, that you can then pop that pedal back up mm-hmm. and then put it back into a completely vertical locked position. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like it a lot. I think yeah. it makes the whole concept of using the fluid head and leaning with the monopod and shooting in that way more viable Mm -hmm. well it's nice because it's like you could you could get that movement when you want to but then if you're trying to just get like a locked off shot like if you're shooting with like a 7200 and you want to get a a distant shot it's nice to be able to easily lock it into the vertical position so that you're not like wobbling all over the place with it uh loosened right yeah so that's good and it's nice that they give you the option of like you can go with the foot pedal version or you can go with the like the tensioning type version Mm mm-hmm yeah. And there's, I mean, there's more to it than just like, so the pedal's really cool. And we talked about, you know, like the, like the locking mechanisms and stuff, but that quick release that goes on the foot, they also have that on the head. So oh, okay. if you needed to like take out the middle part or you needed to like swap out things on your monopod, you can do it pretty quickly because it has this like locking quick release. Yeah, that's In cool. order to take your stuff off and on or like to take the, you can use just like the foot piece. Yeah. I neat. have seen that for some people it's, in some cases, you can accidentally pull that thing. Like, if you grab the monopod in the wrong spot, you can pull down mm. on that quick release, and, like, there goes your whole rig. So, uh, maybe so maybe yeah. watch out for that. I don't know. I, I have the little tripod portion of the older, like, of, of the Cobra 2, 
and it has that same quick release on it and it require it takes quite a bit of attention to release that thing so yeah i mean maybe you could but i mean it's just i feel like you have that problem with any gear you know it's, there's always problems like that so i'm looking at their site here and they're showing people mounting like cameras and lights and all kinds of stuff on this thing yeah i, I think i saw a shot where somebody screwed it into the bottom of a dji gimbal and then I'm pretty sure the guy was like holding this whole thing over his head. And that takes a lot of strength. I don't know that's, about that. That's maybe questionable. I'm not on that level for sure. Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. It looks like the price for this thing is pretty reasonable. Um, the carbon fiber uh, version with the snap locks and with the pedal is 194 on B&H. Now, that doesn't include a fluid head. Sure. Um, you know, that, somebody, that K5 thing is like $300. Is it that much? Yeah, it's it's not super, super cheap, mm, but yeah. it's so, supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it's definitely like a premium product, but by the way, the K5S by itself is 150 Okay, just kidding. Yeah, so you'd be looking at like 350 all in if you wanted the fluid head and the... Oh, uh, the K5 regular is 132 Yeah. Maybe that's what I need in my life. Yeah. All right, Daniel, I need you to convince me not to buy this K5. <laughs> just kidding. If you didn't even talk about how this thing has a wrist strap. Well, tell me about it. It's got a wrist strap. Like you can like, it's got a little, little spot on it and then you can put on your wrist strap and then you can tie it to your wrist. That well, way you don't lose it. Why do I need a wrist strap for my monopod? I mean like what if you're, what if you're like filming or something or maybe you're shooting pictures and someone bumps you and you just like let it go. I guess that could happen. What I if you're know. like, what if you are holding it full extension with your camera on a gimbal, like over a bridge or something, like <laughs> off a bridge, and it's you know, a thousand feet down. Now that could happen. And then someone bumps you. Yep. Wrist strap. Fair enough. In all these situations, someone's bumping you. Yes. <laughs> it's always unexpected. I guess one other use of a monopod would be to use it as a boom pole for doing uh, sound. I mean, having having some sort of collapsible pole contraption mm-hmm. is useful in so many different filming yeah. scenarios. Yeah, you can use it to poke people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. tripping mechanism. Yeah, you could. I mean, because this one has the feet, you could use it as some sort of like rigging. Yeah. Device. There you Maybe go. Maybe you're holding up some scrim mm-hmm. or you know poster board or <laughs> got some gaff tape. Use, well, it, use it to hold up your gaff tape. How tall is this thing? Because like one of my monopods is an extra tall monopod. Looks like it goes up to 71.3 inches, so that's about six feet. That's not bad. I think that's about as, as tall as I would want a monopod to be. I could be convinced that an 84-inch monopod is even better, but... I mean, you, you always you have know. a trade-off of these things, though, that, that then it's not going to collapse down as well. True. That's very true. I don't know. So you want it to be travelable. It's almost a. It's almost two pounds. Yeah. Like you're just, just shy of, so a little heavy. I think it's that tripod. Oh, no, I'm looking at the fluid head. <laughs> the fluid head's two pounds? Yeah. Yeah. I think the tripod probably adds uh, adds all the weight there. It looks like the, the carbon fiber um, monopod itself is 2.8 pounds. Okay. So. so not the lightest thing in the world. Anyways, I think it's cool. Yeah. From what I understand from all the people on the internet, this is the monopod to buy. Yeah. I think the one thing it doesn't have going for it is the hydraulic deal. Mm-hmm. Do you remember who made that? Yeah, that was made by Tiffin. Yeah, uh, it was called the Steadicam Air. I'm super into that. Mm. Like I would, I would buy that over this just because I want to be able to hit a thing and go, <laughs> and like, it's like that crazy I mean, that, raise action. That was a that was a cool feature. It it kind of looks like that product might be on its way out. So they had 15 and 25 pound versions of it because like because it's a hydraulic system 
it kind of has a minimum weight to it as well as a maximum. Right. So if you get a 25 pound version of that thing, Sorry, I'm imagining while launching your camera. Yeah, the air. That's basically what happens. Like it, 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 you, you can't get down to the low level because like, like it's the, the hydraulic is too strong, you know, like it, like it won't be able to collapse. It's like a pogo stick. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and I was able to find the 25 pound one, but I was not able to find the 15 pound one. Which makes me wonder if they're discontinuing it or what the deal is with that. So I think like two hundred bucks. Yeah, it would still be pretty cool though. Like you're low and you like step on it, you kind of like get this like tilting motion with your fluid head while mm-hmm. you're raising and leaning. Could be pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know. Um, still not, still not sure if I want to live the monopod life. But if I did, I would definitely get this one. Yeah, I think that if you were shooting more with the fifty to one forty. It would make a lot of sense. It's probably true. But, I mean, you basically only shoot with the 17 to 70. Yeah. I only need the one lens, man. It's perfect. I think we've finally got to the point where I've used your 50 to 140 as much as you have. I think you might be right. Yeah. For yeah. a while there, I, I definitely gotten way more time on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I used it quite a bit for the best, last event we did. Yep. It's a great lens. It's a really good lens. Yeah. It's just not as versatile as the 17 to 70. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do they make that for any other mounts besides E-mount? Uh, I think it's just those two. Tamron doesn't make any L-mount lenses, do they? No, I don't think they do. What if Tamron was in the L-mount alliance? Oh, man. Maybe Sigma's, like, keeping them out. That could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always assume that they're, like, sharp competitors. They... Sharp. They do compete in a lot of the same uh, the same markets. I mean, like, I've I've thought several times about replacing my 17-70 to with that Sigma 18-50. to So, I don't know. I'm actually considering whether or not I need a Sigma 18 to 50. Need like in addition or instead of the 17 to 70? In addition. Oh. <laughs> of course. I was, there it goes again, buying more <laughs> lenses. Or you know, I need you to convince me not to buy this lens. This <laughs> it's about the same price, like 550. Yeah, I mean, it is. So there's a trip coming up and I'm like trying to think about what's the best lens combo right for this trip and i only want to bring one camera and one lens and i was trying to talk to my dad about this and he was like you know that's why i really like my uh my four to seven (laughs) hundred zoom from from my full frame nikon camera yep i just i don't i don't want a super zoom i refuse i will not i will not use a super zoom super zooms are fine but like I'm shooting on crop sensor over here. Mm-hmm. Like there's only so much light. Now, I don't want to shoot everything at ISO 3200. Yeah. Because I'm stuck at 5.6. Yep. So I feel like the 23 millimeter 1.4 is the lens to use. It probably If you're is. just like going to bring one lens, uh-huh. unless you're bringing the 27 2.8, because that one's even smaller. Yeah. So I was at 27 2.8 first, then the 23 1.4. But then after that, where do you go? Like uh-huh. maybe, maybe you need range. Yeah. Maybe so. I mean, I could bring the 56 1.2 with me, but that thing weighs a pound. Oh, that's so heavy. You're just going to have to bring all your lenses. <laughs> bring an extra bag just for your lenses. <sighs> I feel like the 18 to 55 Sigma is the perfect travel lens for Fuji right now. <laughs> You're probably right. I mean, it's stabilized. It's a reasonably fast aperture. It's small, light. I want, wrong. I want the 20 to 40 Sigma lens that yeah. they make for E-mount. That would be a good length. That would be great. Yeah. I don't know. That's a full frame lens though. So be kind of big, maybe. Yeah. Maybe they'll make a APS C version, you know, similar sort of range, but well, who knows when that would be. Well, you know, there's there's rumor that the A 
6700 is going to be announced in July of this year. Oh, really? Yeah. Like that's that's soon. Imminently. Wow. So maybe we're going to start seeing more more APS-C glass for E-mount, mm, which yeah, means then be. also for X-mount. Could be. I feel like these other companies aren't going to make uh, APS-C lenses just for Fuji, but by Sony having APS-C oh, cameras, sure. it then creates more market. Yeah. So that we can get, you know, get some cooler Fuji lenses. And Sony's been out of the, they haven't really been competing in the APS-C, like, it's been, it's been years. range and so long that maybe that would spark some new lenses if they did release a new yeah. camera. The 6600 came out, like, four or five years ago or something. Mm-hmm. It was so long ago. Yeah. And they did come out with the FX30. Yeah, but that's like a, FX30s is people buying to use for like making videos sure. and stuff. kind of a different thing. But the rumor is that this is basically going to be an FX30 with the viewfinder. Okay. So they're talking about using the same 26 megapixel sensor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're talking about it having open gate and stuff like that. Oh, wow. It's the same like dual card slots. Though I yeah. think the FX30 only has one card slot. Mm. Is that right? I'm not sure. Oh, man. You're supposed to know these things, Daniel. I know. Golly. Well, that's not going to be a very cheap camera if it's a FX30 with more stuff. Rumor is... $2,000. Yeah. That's, which, man, that's not a... I don't know. I don't know about that. It would have to be very competitive because you know what else is $2,000? Fuji X-H2. Fuji X-H2, which is 40 megapixels. And that one can also shoot... It can shoot 8K and 6K. Yep. You know what else is $2,000? Tell me. The Lumix S5 Mark II. Yeah, which is an incredible camera. Incredible and full frame. And let's not forget that Sony themselves has full frame cameras around that price. Yeah. I mean, the $2,500 ZV-E1 has the A7S III sensor in it. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible so, camera. I don't know. It's that, That's a hard place to compete if yeah. they come in at $2,000. Well, and it doesn't really meet that goal that we've said that, you know, they, they really need to release something that's like $1,000. Mm-hmm. Well, like maybe that. this is just like their premium APS-C, but then like here comes the A7C Mark II, yeah. and that's going to have to cost $1,200 or less. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just a very yeah, contentious price category yeah. in that 1000 to 2000 range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And they're they're bold if they're releasing that at 2000. I just I'm dying to see what it is. Yeah. I've been waiting for that camera for like 2 years. Not cuz I'm going to buy it. Because just cuz of its impact on the market. Yeah, just see what they're up to. Like there's nothing happening on the low end for Sony right now except for their ZV series mm-hmm. and they're but if you're trying to like get into Sony and you want a cheap camera for less than $1500, what do you buy? Yeah. That's photo that's photo oriented. I mean if if you rewind yourself back to like 2018 when you bought a camera, mm-hmm. you know, you weren't in the market for a $2000 camera. You were wanting to spend like 500 bucks. Right. And I don't, I don't know how Sony would be a viable option for you right now. I'd be like, well, the newest Sony camera in this range is like four years old. Like, yeah. why would you pick that? I think Lucas of 2017 would have done the same thing now that I did back then, which is find a decent used camera that meets those requirements. And I would probably find like a used A7 III or something. Yeah. And then end I up buying so. that or yeah. something similar. But it's like... For after that, after I had my, I spent 600 bucks and I bought some Micro Four Thirds gear and had a GX7 Panasonic or whatever. I then was like, okay, I'm going to upgrade. And my, my upgrade budget was like mid-tier. It was it was $2,000 all in. I wanted a len- like one or two lenses and a camera for 2,000 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And I considered the A7 III at that time. Mm-hmm. And I, that. I didn't do it just because of like, it had worse video specs than the X-T3. Mm, and, I th- and looking back, I think that was probably the right choice. Like between those two cameras. 
Maybe. But, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I didn't go with it because it was $200 more. And I still had to buy the, all that expensive E-mount lenses. Yeah. Full frame. Full frame. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, let's go, let's go with the Fuji. Yep. Yep. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, I think Sony is a lot more competitive now, but I mean, we've looked at a lot of that A7 III footage and I mean, the video codecs just are not great. Right. They're not. They're not. But, you know, this is this A6700 that's coming out. I mean, that one, it should have all the things, right? Sure it's it going to have the AI chip for the focusing and it's going to have 422210 10-bit and S-Log 3. And I think that like if it comes out with all of that stuff, it's going to be pretty appealing yeah because it's gonna kind of like check all the boxes and it's gonna be smaller and i think a lot of people are gonna like it but Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah yeah we'll see like you said i'm kind of curious to see what that'll do to the lens market yeah exactly maybe maybe there'll be something else besides the 18 to 50 yeah maybe so going back to your travel lens thing right um you know some of the trips i've gone on recently i've taken the xt30 with the 27 2.8 and I've been pretty happy with that. I mean, you lose out on something by not having the the longer reach, you know, and that's definitely a downside, but I kind of like not having the decisions about, you know, like what zoom level to use. And it, I mean, I just kind of take the pictures that are presented to me and I'm pretty happy with that. You, you don't got you don't convince me why one would shoot on a prime. I yeah. love getting rid of that whole composition of mm. having to zoom. I'm like, well, I'm just going to yeah. take the picture where it is and mm-hmm. get what I need to focus. And I can get more snaps. Yeah. I mean, but, it, like for me, it's been it's been making me consider whether like I'd be happier selling the X-T30 and the 27 and getting an X-100V instead. Which no longer taking orders for an X-100V. Yeah. B&H is like, they have so many back mm-hmm. orders. They're like, we can't get these from the manufacturer. Yep. You can't you can't even buy one new anymore. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like I, I I don't know how Fuji can't keep up even after all this time, and it's just ridiculous how popular that camera is. It's their best selling camera, and they just can't seem mm-hmm. to make enough. And I don't know if it's because they're trying to cycle down manufacturing to then come out with something else. But why would they do that? They're, it's so popular. Just I don't know. Just keep making it. Just keep making it. It's it's. The MSRP of it is like fourteen hundred, mm-hmm. and you regularly see them used for like eighteen hundred. It's so frustrating because I want that like that camera used, or even the previous generation, the X one hundred F. You should be able to find one of those for like five to seven hundred dollars. Yeah, and because of the popularity of it, you just can't, and mm-hmm. it's really frustrating. It's like yeah. the market is kind of swinging in the wrong direction, and Fuji just Fuji just to make more of them. Yeah, yeah, it's. Because it feels like it's one of the most compelling, affordable cameras uh, of that type. I mean, there's the Ricoh GR3, which I think is similar price. It is. But I mean, it it's not as good as a Leica Q2 or Q3, but it's the same kind of camera that mm-hmm. sort of does the same types of things. And there really aren't that many cameras like that. Yeah, it's this market of these really good APS-C or full-frame fixed lens cameras Mm -hmm. and like the like the rx1r was really really cool and but sony's not making those like no one makes them anymore yeah you let's you list the entire market there's a rico camera that no one's ever heard of there's x100v that everyone can afford and wants and there's the leica that everybody wants but can't afford yep and it's like it there it's it is a very small market i don't know how many people like in like the vast scheme of camera purchasers are looking for a fixed lens camera that's cost a thousand dollars yeah but there is a market for it and it's underserved 
Well, yeah. Well, there's there's more people looking for it than Fuji's making them. Mm-hmm. So, I can I can name at least one person who would be in that market. It's it's me. <laughs> I, I I don't know. It would be hard to justify for me to buy an X100V because I have the XT3 mm-hmm. and it's just it's too similar and I could just yeah. get a similar lens. But man, if there was a full frame version, if Sony came out with another RX1R, no, that'd be cool. Like, I think that. You know, what Leica is doing with their 46, 50 megapixel, whatever it is, Q3, where you can shoot in the different crop modes. The whole point of it is just getting the JPEGs out of camera. And they're like, this is a really great 27 millimeter lens that you can shoot like it's a 50 or, you know, 60 millimeter because Mm -hmm. of the crop. I think Fuji could do that with their new 40 megapixel. Yeah. And they they could give you like 16 meg or 20 meg or 40 meg stills. And then they like ship it with that really good 27 millimeter lens. Yep. But then you have like all of these different options and like you're just shooting JPEGs, yeah. classic Chrome It'd all day. Be ideal. I mean, that would, that would be perfect. Yeah. And like maybe that's where they're going with it. Mm-hmm. But it feels like it's never going to happen because they can't even make the old one. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what the deal is with that. But because for me, it's like I got that XT30 because I wanted something that was small and that wasn't as expensive that I could take on trips. Mm-hmm. And you know, now I'm kind of thinking like, I really don't swap lenses on that camera that much, but I also like having a backup because especially now that we do paid work and do paid interviews and stuff, it's like, I like knowing that if I needed a B cam or if something happened to the X-H2S, I have something else. But the X-T30 is pretty limited in terms of like using it as an A-roll camera. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to shoot 4K, you only get like 10 minutes or something of record time. So it's pretty bad for that. Right. And so then I think like, Maybe I should sell it and get an XS20, and then it's got the same sensor as my XH2S. Mm-hmm. Shoot open gate 6.2K. Like it would be a great B cam for that. Right. But one thing I really like about the XT30 is that I can put it in my pocket when I go on a trip. It's it's so small. Yeah, and so I guess I need three cameras. That's what I'm thinking, like, Daniel. You I need got three my cameras. XH2S. I need something as a B cam, you know, like backup sort of thing. And then I need a travel camera. I feel like if you had an XS20, then I wouldn't be using my X-T3 as the C camera in some of our setups. Mm-hmm. And we would be using the XS20. And then that opens up the possibility for me to do other things with the X-T3. I don't know what that would be, Wait, but it would be other what things. Are, what other things would you do? I don't, I don't know, Daniel. <laughs> Probably just, sell it to buy more primes. Other things. I mean, I was thinking about it earlier. And I have the 16, and I have the 23, and I have the 56.2, and the 80. But I don't have anything above the 80. What are you going to do? I mean, they make a 90 millimeter. They do. They do make a 90 millimeter, and I'm sure you've thought about it. Anyway, what? I don't even think we're, we were talking about that. <laughs> what were we actually talking about? <laughs> I don't know. I think we just went full Fuji cast on that. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to. Well, it was a little bit of Sony cast. Yeah, a little bit of Sony I'm, cast. I'm, exci- I'm excited about that A6700, <laughs> and I want it to happen. Yeah, yeah. I guess we'll see what they come out with. All right. What 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 else is going on here? Dan, related to previous, Daniel wants a tripod for his V mount rig. Man, I don't think we should get into that. Is that too much? I think it's too much. Oh my gosh. I mean, we could we could try to cover it quickly if you want to. All right. Now let me let me just knock knock this one other thing because we we can talk about that next week whenever I'm ready to talk about more Z8 stuff. Yeah, that sounds good. Because if anything, the Nikon Z8, Daniel, not getting enough coverage. I agree. I was I've been watching some videos on it. That camera. That camera's amazing. We're going to have to talk about the firmware update for the Z9. Yeah, the firmware for the update for the Z9 is pretty pretty mm-hmm. impactful. Yeah. I just, I feel like there are very few cameras that are offering what the Z8 is offering at its price point. Yeah, I agree. It's, and 
I don't know. We need, I, th- I think we need to spend more time on it. But so next week, Nikon Cast. Nikon Cast next week, plus this other thing. Yeah. Okay. I know you've seen all like the the Lightroom and and Photoshop AI stuff that they've been coming out. Yeah. Where like in Photoshop, you can like draw a thing and be like, just uh keep keep going on this part. Yeah. yeah. Generate like, generate generative fill. I think is what it's called. Right. That's a little nuts. Mm-hmm. Well, they they've been adding some AI features to Lightroom as well. One of which is this detail enhance thing. Okay. And this came just after an announcement from DxO Pure Raw, a Deep Prime. So. There's two different things. And we've talked about like Lightroom and Fujifilm before and the whole deal with with the X-Trans and how Lightroom's deal mosaicing process for X-Trans can get a little weird in the mm, details. You get this little worm. And like, yeah, things. you can get some like little worming, especially if you try to sharp, over sharpen it. Yeah. Then the, the noise can look strange. Yep. That noise renders really nicely in video because it's irregular. But in photos, it can be maybe not as pleasing as you want yeah. it to be. It's not yeah. uniform. So, like, things that you would do is, like, you just don't sharpen as much on Fuji because you don't have to because X-Trans and micro contrast. Calm down. <laughs> you see, Daniel, let me tell you more about X-Trans. Anyway, so one of the things that you could do if you don't want to use Capture One and you're just really in the Lightroom world but you also love Fuji is you can use something like DxO's products to develop your raws and so what that does is you does what that does so i was thinking about going into an accent then i decided not to i was like maybe i shouldn't (laughs) a little risky (laughs) what if i can't do it right they'll judge me forever you can feed your raw files into you know dxo and then they'll do their demosaicing process for you right and using their own software and backend so you don't have to rely on Lightrooms or Capture Ones yeah. or Fujis. Yeah, I haven't done that, but I've been interested in mm-hmm. it. And it'll it'll export stuff. So one of the new things that they have, this raw prime thing, is they use <clears throat> machine learning and neural networks. Ooh. They've got two buzzwords. Yeah, man. To enhance the, the raw files. And so things like high noise, low light and things that are not maybe as sharp can come in sharper and have less noise. And you can get like more out of your raws as far as how they look when it caught, when it comes to like close detail at like 800% Mm -hmm. and for noise performance. And so this was really, really cool because previously they didn't support Fuji cameras because it was all like X trans is just so different than bear. And I mean, you like, you go look it up X trans takes, 30% 30% more compute power to demosaic than bear because it's more complex. Huh. And well, some of the things that the DXO thing touts is like in those very specific situations where on the very small details in your pictures, like maybe you have a kid like way out there and you want to crop in and like catch his, his or her smile yeah. and like then the teeth are the same color as the lips. Yep, yep. That's hard to do because of the subpixel arrangement of X-Trans. Mm-hmm. And so DXO is like, we've got that figured out and you're going to get better tighter detail on this oh, stuff okay and so this is just kind of a cool new software thing and i've been meaning to try it out and i haven't tried it out but it seems really exciting yeah to get like cooler better demosaicing better raws mm-hmm. out of fuji yeah it's just an extra step though you have to bring these in you then process your raws and then it puts out dng files and then you bring those dng files into whatever your developing tool like lightroom is like lightroom and the problem for me is then i'm gonna have rw2 files and are they rw2 I think so. Yeah. And then I'm going to have... No, they're RAF, right? All right RW2 is the, the, the non-compressed ones. Yeah. And, or is it... Whatever. It doesn't matter. 
RAF files, and then I'm going to have DNG files, and I'm going to have because JPEG files. Gonna, you're not going to be and, able to get rid of any oh of these files. Oh my gosh, could you imagine me deleting the original RAWs? Un- unbelievable. You're going to have to buy more NAS drives. Yeah, so this is that's kind of like the big deal breaker for me, is that I have to get over the emotional hurdle mm-hmm. of deleting the original RAWs and only keeping the DNGs. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Oh boy. How much does the software cost? 129 bucks. Okay. So, pretty cool. I'm going to yeah. try it out, but... The whole reason I'm trying this out is for like that noise and the raw performance, which leads me back to the Lightroom discussion. They added a new AI denoise feature to Lightroom. Oh. And I have tried this one. And what that does is they will, they're basically doing something similar to what DXO is doing, except they're still using their crap demosaic and stuff. Mm, so but, does it have the same problems then as X-Trans? But they are using AI and machine learning and neural networks to do it better. And they do it a lot better. Huh. Not better than DxO necessarily, because I haven't cross-compared these but two. But better than old Lightroom. But better than, like, it's a different thing. Yeah. And so if you have a picture that's low light or has, like, some really high detail or, like, a lot of, it's really a lot of noise is the main thing, you can hit this button and it'll create a new DNG and stack it into your original image. And it is is a little insane, like you can feed it like an ISO twelve thousand eight hundred image, mm-hmm. and the denoising is really really good. Mm-hmm. Like usually, cool. if you denoise that much, things like the colors get smeary and like yeah. skin tones like they don't blend right. Mm-hmm. And I was a little shocked. Like mm-hmm. we went on that camping trip back in April, mm-hmm. and I took a lot of pictures around the fire, and so I pulled some of those ones because those were at like ISO ten thousand, ISO yeah. twelve thousand. And I was I was shocked <laughs> at how good the denoising and stuff is out of Pretty that tool. Cool. So I kind of wanted to like highlight that basically of like check out this Lightroom tool, and also like there's the DXO thing of the Lightroom one's uh, not working for and you. And if that's if that Lightroom thing is good enough, that makes it a real uphill battle for the DXO thing because you're saying I'm going to pay an extra hundred thirty dollars for this tool, and I'm going to have this extra thing in my workflow. Like it probably doesn't work in your iPad. So that's a really good point, you know, and so like that would kind of all be a pain. And if, if, if there's something built into Lightroom that's like, I don't know, 90% is good or whatever. Like, I mean, that that seems to me like it would be the default choice. Yeah, I think so, too. It looks like there's a DXO one app for iOS. I have to look, I thought yeah. That's probably something totally different. I'll have to look and see if there is some sort of workflow for, yeah. for iOS. It might, be, it might be a problem for you. Yeah, that could be a problem now that I have a. Uh, a multi-device workflow yeah. for yeah. for my photo management. Yes, which Indeed. we which we have discussed in detail. Yep, go back and listen to that episode, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I think that like the big thing for this DXO is when it comes to the demosaicing process. If you're just not happy with what Lightroom's doing, or you're not happy for some reason, you're not happy with the JPEG that you got out of your Fuji camera. I don't know why you wouldn't be happy with the JPEG. I can't. I can't imagine a situation where you're not happy. <laughs> With nostalgic neg or classic Chrome or Provia, <laughs> but for for if there's an inst- instance where maybe like it didn't get something just right, like it didn't get the the color between like lips and teeth, or maybe there's a child over there on the grass, and the, for some reason the child is now turning into the Hulk. Yeah, hate when that happens. Or whatever, it's like, a problem. I've never ha- really had that problem in any of my footage, any of my pictures. I feel like it's a solved thing. Yeah. Sort of. Maybe with like old cameras or something. Yeah. Like, old like XT2 and before, but yeah. it's, it isn't necessarily a solved problem because there are edge cases. And I think that if you run into an edge case, having another tool like DXO to do the demosaicing for you 
instead of Capture One or Lightroom or Fuji, just gives you another option. Yeah, it's like another tool in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like it's using its kind of its its understanding of what pictures should look like yeah. and what you know colors should be next to what colors mm-hmm. to give you a better result. That makes sense. So I think that's I think it's really interesting, and I think it's a pretty cool tool to add. Now that I'm I'm a proud owner of a 56 millimeter 1.2 lens, <laughs> and I'm getting into portrait photography, because uh, obviously that's what I'm going to do with it. I think that I'm going to need something like this yeah. in order to improve my RAWs. Yeah, you're just going to have to get it. I'm just going to have to. The lens, is, the lens is not enough. You also need the software. I actually have it pulled up right here um, on my computer, and I'm going to buy it live on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're really in a spending mood today. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing that. Anyways, that's been on the list for like two months. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm glad we finally talked about it. Yeah, I was curious what that was. So, or more, yeah, I, I talked about it, and you listened. Yeah, and. Mm-hmm. Weren't, weren't that excited. <laughs> uh, was this something you would use? I, I, well, the Lightroom thing, yes. I don't think I would buy an extra software to process the RAWs because I'm pretty happy with the JPEGs and I just I haven't really run into problems with it. You uh, thought about using Iridian at one point, right? Yeah, yeah, because that that's like either free or like $40 or something. Right, right, it's not too bad. Um, that but, one doesn't have machine learning nah, or neural right. networks. yeah. I don't know. I mean, just in practice, I mean, I'm not as serious of a photographer as you are. And honestly, most of the time when I take photos, I just use the JPEGs. It's because the JPEGs are so good. Yeah, yeah. And even if I want to edit them a little bit, I just, most of the time, I don't need to be doing all kinds of editing to them. So it's fine. I'm frequently very happy with the pictures out of my camera and I'm not necessarily itching to switch to anything. But sometimes whenever I'm getting into like the finer details of a photo, I do feel a little limited yeah. by... Lightroom's demosaicing and mm-hmm. dealing with X-Trans. Yeah. I mean, I'm on the X-Trans bandwagon. I totally get the whole like different pattern and like, all that more, micro contrast, more man. green, more micro contrast, better. It's actually not even better. Uh, whatever, what do you call it? Uh, where the, 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 the get with the fine patterns. Uh, more. Yeah. It's like, it's not even better. More. It's just different. More. Yeah. But regardless, I'm on the X-Trans train, X-Trans train. The X train, the X train, train. Yeah. like I'm on it, but at the same time, I could, I see the the appeal of something that's more regular, like bear, yeah. and I do feel like sometimes then maybe it would be nice to not have to think about well, what are other ways that I could process these raws mm-hmm. to get a more cleaner image? I guess I don't know. So maybe you do wish you were a Sony bro. Oh jeez, N- never! How dare you? <laughs> I'm obviously an icon, bro. <laughs> no, I, I, if I had, if I was switching off of Fuji, I would, I would absolutely go into Lumix. Yeah, that's that's almost certainly where I would go. I never thought I would go back to Panasonic. Mm-hmm. Well, now that they have good autofocus. It's a possibility. They make such good cameras, and yeah. their sensors are good. And man, I love all those video specs. Mm-hmm. And just Panasonic's the way to go. Yeah, I mean, when that S S one H Mark II comes out, that's going to be tempting. Yep. But also, like, there is a reason why everyone buys Sony's. Yeah. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah. Still good. Okay. Anyway, what else? I don't know, man. I think I think we've covered a lot of ground today. All right. Cool. Well, I'm going to move these things up for next week. And, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, Nikon cast coming soon. Woo! <laughs> that's it for the show today. Thanks for listening. And we'd encourage you to rate the show on iTunes and tell a friend, but only if you enjoyed it. You can find out more about us on our website at cameragearpodcast.com. We'll be back with more next week.